You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. I wonder, have you had a time where you thought you were the most important person in that moment? I know you guys won't have because you're perfect, but Manchester campus, maybe John, they've had these moments. But I remember growing up, I loved acting. Acting was just like my thing. You'd be probably surprised to know I was in My Fair Lady. I was in Alice in Pantoland. I was in Scrooge. I loved acting. In fact, my favorite actor of all time is Michael Fassbender, who plays Magneto. He's in Band of Brothers. He's Irish, German, a little bit biased. But I love acting. And I think my favorite role that I've ever played in my illustrious acting career would have been the Nativity show back in primary school. My role was awesome because it had no lines. My role was the illustrious shepherd. I got all kitted out. I had my tea towel on my head. I had the, you know, the dressing gown robe going on, the fake staff. I absolutely, put that photo down. What are you doing? Put it down, put it down, put it down. There we go. You can't see that's a punchline. That's a punchline. I dressed up, loved, love, love, love the nativity. Dressed up, came on my main part, ready for this moment. I walked on stage, me as a shepherd with my fake sheep, thinking that all of the crowd were watching me. I was the most important person in the show until the wise men came on the stage. And then came Mary and Joseph. And then there was the angel Gabriel. And then there was Jesus. And suddenly, I wasn't the most important person in the script. In fact, there was many other characters playing many different parts. And those characters are represented by our wonderful preaching team today. And let's show you a 2023 image of the Nativity. Thanks, team. You can put the image on the screens now. Here it is, 2023 Nativity. We've got Julie as the angel. We've got Matt here as Joseph. Atanuka as Mary. You'll maybe have a little look. We've got Zaina doing a cameo as Jesus in the middle. Got Mark Garrett as the wise man. And there we've got Kylie who is a sheep because the shepherd's face is facing the wrong way. We've got our 2023 Christmas nativity cast right here. Let me tell you what the Bible says in Luke 126. It says, this is the story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel, this is Julie, Gabriel to Nazareth in a town called Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to your son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Throughout our country, 
and society. We've got many different representations and images of the nativity. You could step into a shopping center and you see the nativity. You could look on TV and you see the nativity. And I think it's a beautiful scene and we care about what happens after the nativity. That's important. Of course it is. But if we skip past the nativity and we relegate it to this nice little cozy scene in the Cotswolds where Jesus was born in a nice warm barn and we skip past his story. That didn't happen. We skip past his story. We're in danger of missing the true meaning of the nativity. And I want to suggest today that every person in the nativity has an important part to play and something for each one of us to learn. Church, are you ready? Three people are ready. Are you ready? Let's give it up for the angel, Julie Wilson. Awesome. Well, first of all, Angel Gabriel was a man, but you know, I'm not going to take offense to that. Thank you, Pastor Lee. Very good. <laughs> He's an, I, I just saw that then he, and I thought, hmm, yeah, not. But anyway, so the angel's job um, in this nativity was to come and deliver God's word to Mary. Um, and who knows in this place that when God speaks, things are shaken up. So when angel, the angel Gabriel, she comes to, he comes to see Mary, she is visibly shaken up, obviously, because there's this, this person in her room. But that person has got a word from God to deliver to Mary, and it's going to shake everything up. And what I love about God, that when he speaks, it changes everything. It goes from this way to that way in the space of a breath. So when God speaks, everything is shaken. Just look at this church. Look at what's God, what God's done here. Pastor Glynn's message at the beginning of this year was expect surprises. And look where we're going to be in the future. One word from God shakes everything up. The second thing that happens when God speaks is that he births a journey. And when the angel comes to speak to Mary, something is birthed within her. But through God's word, through what he is speaking, it's going to birth a journey for Mary. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, I wish that God would send me an angel to tell me the direction to go. Because like, how, not you, Richard, you are my angel, of course. Sorry, my husband never usually sits there, so he's distracting me. <laughs> You've really distracted me. <laughs> Thank you. Birthing, where was I up to? Birthing a journey and then sending an angel to, <laughs> to deliver the news. And, um, oh man. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on to my next point. So when God speaks, he speaks to Mary and he says, do not fear. He says, Mary, do not be afraid. Because sometimes when God gives us a word, it's a hairy, scary spider of a word. And we're going, I don't know what to do with that, God. I don't know what to do with that. But the angel Gabriel gives the news and she, he says, do not fear. And what I wanted to share with you this morning is that when God speaks, no weapon formed against it will prosper. We do not need to fear because he has said, this is the direction that you can go. This is the way that you can do it. And as long as we're walking under his covering, then no weapon formed against us will prosper. We need not fear because he has given us the direction to walk. So I'm now going to hand over to Mary and she's not going to forget what she wants to say. And she's going to really blow your socks off. 
She's going to try. She's going to try. Okay, so Mary, right? What can we learn about Mary? Mary's getting on with her day. You know, she's looking forward to marrying Joseph. She's got her whole life ahead of her. She's quite young at this time. And she sees an angel, a beautiful angel, an angel, which must have been just awe-striking, you know, just amazing, incredible. And the angel says that she's favored. So what a blessing. But then that angel says something else, gives her a message and says, you're going to birth the son of God. And that must have been so incredible and so amazing for her to hear. But I'm sure she had that moment when it hit that, hang on a second, I'm going to birth the son of God. Have you ever had that when something really exciting is happening and then the responsibility hits? Like I remember my parents and said I could get my first car. I was like, yes, freedom, have a car, get about. And then they started talking about road tax and engine coolant <laughs> and like, petrol money. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of responsibility in kind of keeping this car going. Like, I'll have my freedom, but there's something else with it. And God's word, when you look at Mary, what she teaches us is that God's word brings encouragement, but responsibility with that. She's got this awesome thing that God is calling her to do, and it is incredible. And that's because God's word is real. You know, it's not flippant. When God gives us encouragement, it's not just a hug, it's not just a, an arm around the shoulder, but there's something in that because God's word is living and active. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that God's word is living and active. It's going to come up sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is alive. And when we get a word from God, it is a real thing. But sometimes that real thing isn't always tangible. So Mary had this word from God, but there's nothing that she can hold on to in the physical to show somebody to say, look at this thing, you know. She, she knows that she's got this promised birth inside her, this seed sown inside her, but there's a time until that becomes manifest in, in the physical for the world to see. And don't we know, church, that sometimes when God speaks, there's a time between when we hear that word and when we have it in the physical. And sometimes that's really frustrating, you know. Someone promises you something, you know something's going to happen, you've got a word, and you've got to wait. But what God's looking for in that time period is faith. God's looking for us to build our faith, hold on to our faith, to birth that before it bursts, to nurture it and support it. Okay? Hebrews 11 verse 1 says that faith is the confidence in things that we hope for, the assurance of things not yet seen. Okay, so the responsibility is for us to nurture and support and grow. Just like in those nine months, she looked after her body, she ate right, she did all the things that pregnant women need to do. Um, but when we get a word from God, we have to do and look after that word until the time that it's going to be birthed. The Bible also tells us that God looks out over his word. He watches over it for it to be fulfilled. In Jeremiah 1 verse 12, it says... I will remember it or read it off the screen. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Because the other thing that we learn from Mary is that God does it. He doesn't just give a promise. He fulfills a promise. As we're nurturing, as we're holding on to the promises, she held on for nine months. Some of us in this room have been holding on for promises for much longer. But God is developing and growing and he's watching over for that right time of birth. Mary encourages us, and I want to encourage you, church, that if God said it, he's going to do it. His word does not come back void. If he said it, it's not a maybe, it's not an if, it's a definite, it's inevitable. You will see the goodness that God has promised you, okay? You just need to be faithful to carry it.
Okay, so Joseph, I think some people might think that Joseph is a passenger in this story. They might think, well, you know, he's the dad, but he's not the biological dad. You know, he didn't have Angel Gabriel come and speak to him. He didn't have the, the moment that Mary had. He's a passenger, and he doesn't even get to ride on the donkey. Spoiler alert, there's no donkey. But really, I want to say to you today that Joseph is one of the most important people in the story. And the reason is he had to trust God. He hadn't had his moment with the angel yet. He hadn't had that confirmation. He just had to trust what Mary told him. He just had to trust God that actually something was, you know, th this was God's plan. Um, and I want you to think for a moment, just try and imagine putting yourself in Joseph's shoes. Think for, you know, imagine hearing this news secondhand. Imagine the questions that you would have, the thousands of questions, and who could answer them? Because really there's, there's no answer other than, other than trusting. Imagine all the questions. Imagine kind of the thoughts that would be running around in his head. I can think of the, you know, the cycle maybe of negativity of the things that would just be running around, running around. He'd be thinking fear, rejection, disappointment, betrayal, embarrassment, fear, rejection, disappointment, betrayal, embarrassment, fear, rejection, disappointment, betrayal, embarrassment. We can imagine that moment and that cycle of just thoughts going round and round and round and not knowing what to do with it, spiraling out of control. Because Joseph had a plan for his life, right? He'd, he was engaged to be married. He'd chosen the girl he wanted to marry. He put a ring on it. He thought maybe, you know, we'll get married. We'll have a little honeymoon, get home. Maybe we'll get a pet, little rabbit. You know, he had this plan. He had it all mapped out for his life. But then, bam, everything changed. Everything changed. And he went from being ready to be married to thinking of quietly walking away. Everything has changed. And I want to ask you today, church, what do you do when everything changes? What do we do when everything changes? In Psalm, and uh, not in Psalms, Proverbs 19, 21, it says this just up on the screen. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's will that prevails. God's purpose prevails. And what do we do when everything changes? We have to lean in and we have to trust God. We have to lean in and trust him. And when Joseph did this, when Joseph leaned in and trusted God, God came and spoke to him. He did send an angel this time. <laughs> he, did, he gave him purpose and he sent an angel to him that said, do not be afraid. You don't need to fear. And for Joseph at this moment, he chose to actually lean into God for his answers. He chose to listen to God's voice rather than the voice of fear. And he chose to trust God and find his peace. So I want to encourage you today, church, at the moment where, you know, maybe you feel out of control. Maybe you feel that your thoughts are spiraling. Maybe you feel everything's changed. I don't know what to do. Trust the process. Lean in. Trust God. And our greatest challenges will become our greatest victories. The stories to tell will be wild. I'm going to hand over to the shepherd. Amazing. So the next people in the story are the shepherds. Um, and if you think about it, we know Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is this amazing uh, son of God. But when he was born, no one knew that fact about him except for the people that 
we're spoken to by angels, right? So if you think of it in our day, um, when a royal member, when a royal family member is born, there's a whole line of people that have to see them in a specific order, right? There's, there's the other royal family members, and then you kind of go down the line, and then all of the media and everyone who's wanting to take pictures, they're all trying to see this new baby of the royal family. But that was not the case for Jesus. That was not the case for Mary and Joseph and their family. Jesus was born in a manger, in a barn, because there was no space for them anywhere else. Like, they were kind... Like, this is the king of kings. You would think, oh, man, God's going to provide this amazing, incredible place for him to be born. And instead, it almost seems like, oh, he's just kind of like pushed to the side. And then you think, oh, God is sending, God is going to send all these amazing people. There's going to be a huge birth and there's going to be loads of guests and everything. It's like, oh, he sent shepherds seems a bit confusing. And then I, as a kid, you're always like, why shepherds? Is it just because he was born in a manger? That it's like, oh, it just kind of fits in with the story. But then as you think about it, you start to realize, actually, it might be a bit strange that God sent shepherds. And you might, it might be a bit weird in the story. But it's actually the start of Jesus' ministry, that first day of birth, when the shepherds came in, that was the start of his ministry because it was the point where God is saying, Jesus is for everyone. Jesus isn't just gonna be for the royal family. Jesus isn't just gonna be for the noble and the high and the mighty. Jesus is going to be for everyone. And he made a statement with that through the shepherds because the shepherds, they were out in the fields. They probably smelled. They were probably tired and a bit dirty. And like they had their own little group. They kind of kept together and they had their own pack of friends. So for God to be like, no, you need to witness this. You need to be here for this. It was God's statement saying that, no, Jesus is for everyone, including you. And um, it says in, sorry, it says in uh, Luke chapter 2, it's not on the screens, um, but when, when the shepherds had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child and all who had heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the shepherds took it upon themselves not just to be like, wow, God's including us in this. Like we've been, an angel came to us and told us about this child that was born. It was then on them to go and share it with everyone else they knew. And it was from that moment that they were declaring that Jesus was for everyone else because that's what we're meant to do as well. It's not just, oh yeah, we've heard the name of Jesus, that's amazing. Jesus is for everyone. And just as the shepherds then shared the good news with everyone they knew, it's on us to then share the good news with everyone we know as well. It says in John 3:16, one of the most famous verses for God so loved the world, meaning everyone, the whole world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
So the shepherds, that was their job. That was what they were sent to do, to really show the world, to put that stamp forward of Jesus's ministry saying that Jesus really is for everyone. Amazing. So I'm going to look at the wise men, the magi, and uh, as Callie said, you know, Jesus is for everyone, but I want to tell you that everyone needs Jesus, even the magi who were the top. So if the shepherds represented the lowest, the magi represented the highest. They were a hereditary priesthood. They served in the highest echelons of society, serving some of the most powerful kingdoms that had ever ruled the world. They were highly skilled, highly trained, highly educated, and their title is where we get the word magistrate from. And one of their jobs, people believe, is, was to make kings. They were a part of the royal court. They were kingmakers. And isn't it interesting, church, how the kingmakers found themselves searching to worship the king? It says when they arrived at Herod's court, Herod was deeply troubled. Can you just picture the scene? Herod was the king. And they came into his court to say, we want to worship the king because we've seen his star. Now, you might forgive Herod to say, for thinking, at best, he might just send them away as just pure madness. At worst, maybe offended and executed them, but he didn't. And the reason for that was because of who they were. He recognized these were serious guys, and he took that message seriously. But I want to tell you, church, despite their obvious power and significance, they came to find the king. It says when they found Jesus, they were overjoyed. When you find Jesus, you will find a joy that, that, that reaches no limits, that knows no limits. They found Jesus and were overjoyed. It says they bowed down and worshipped him. Just picture the contrast. They went to Herod and they had counsel with Herod. But with Jesus, who was a baby, they bowed down and worshipped him. That's the contrast. And I also think they were wise enough to know that their status and gifts didn't qualify them. It says they bowed down and worshipped before they gave their gifts. And uh, while the shepherds knew, well, the shepherds found out that perhaps their lowly status didn't disqualify them, the wise men were wise enough to know that their power did not qualify them. It says in the, in the Bible, it says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone needs Jesus. So sometimes we can fall into that trap of comparing. Somebody's better than me. That's the low. Or actually, I'm slightly perhaps better than them. That's putting ourselves above. Does Jesus care about your problems? Yes, he does, but he cares about you more. Does he care about your position? Yes, he does, but he still cares about you more. Everyone needs Jesus. Jim Carrey, the famous actor, once said, I wish that everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know that's not the answer. And in today's society, there can be a sense that perhaps Christianity is at conflict with science or is anti-intellectual. And that's just not, not the case. The Magi also, also dismissed that because they were the intellectual giants of their day. 
And even though they found Jesus as a baby in really humble surroundings, there was no court, there was no kind of royal trappings, they still worshipped him because they had a knowledge of the scriptures that testified to the coming Christ. It says in Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a child is given. And we sing this, don't we, church? And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And you know what, church? Many of the world's most brilliant scientists were or are Christians. Uh, there was a, a guy called Francis Collins. He's still alive. He's one of the greatest scientific minds of, his, of, of, of our generation, really. He was the director of the Human Genome Project. So he undertook the mapping of three billion letters that make up our DNA. Probably the greatest scienti uh, scientific uh, uh, undertaking of our generation. Uh, and he, he was treating uh, an old lady once, and he wasn't a Christian at all, so he was treating an old lady in hospital who had really severe heart, um, heart disease, and she was in great pain, and, she, and the doctors couldn't do much for her, and he was saying to him that how her faith helps her to cope with the pain and, and helps her to get through it. And he was sat by her bedside, and she went through a severe bout of uh, heart pain, and uh, when she got through that, she turned to him uh, and said, uh, Francis... Uh, uh, what do you believe in? And, and, he, and he said, he, he sat there and he realized he, he arrived as an answer that there is no God without having ever looked at the evidence. And yet he was supposed to be a scientist. So he thought, I need to do something about that. And so he did. And he looked at the evidence, expecting to reinforce his atheism. And guess what, church? In doing that, he found Jesus. So it's not about, it's not about intellectual betterment. It's not about the mental ascent, it, but it's about spiritual transformation. Only Jesus can change hearts, minds, souls, and spirits. Only Jesus can do what Jesus can do, church. Everyone needs Jesus, and Jesus is for everyone. Hey, brilliant. Why don't we thank our preachers as they exit, and we welcome the band on we can't forget about Jesus, who was played by baby Zena. Don't put that photo back on the screen. Whatever you do, that'll distract us. But the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. In the whole scene in the nativity, the whole story, the character arc that we've got going on, everybody's got a different story and part to play. In the middle of it all, we've got baby Jesus. And I tell you, church, Jesus is in the middle God sent Jesus from heaven to earth, taking on the pain, the hang-ups, the mess-ups of humanity, providing a way so that each one of us could enter a relationship with God. He could have sat on his lofty throne and watched down from heaven, but here he comes, a baby in a manger. Jesus is in the middle. Emmanuel means God with us. So if Jesus is in the middle, that means he's in the middle of your life. That means he's in the middle of your mess. That means he's in the middle of your storm. That means he's in the middle of your highs, your lows, your mountaintops, your valleys, everything that surrounds your life, no matter where you go, where you find yourself, where you run from, Jesus is in the middle. He's in the middle of your workplace, the middle of your family, the middle of your colleagues, the middle of your kids, the middle of all of the stuff that keeps you up at night, worried about, praying about, Jesus is in the middle. But Jesus sits there in the middle, but we can do one of two things. We can accept him 
welcome him, bring him into the middle, or we can walk away and leave him at a distance. See, the choice is optional. And I think as Christians, I'm not talking to people in the room who don't have a faith. I'm talking to the Christians just now. It's easy for us to just go through life and tick all the right boxes and achieve the right status, climb the corporate ladder of our workplace, go through struggles, but turn to self-help books or turn to other things when the Bible presents this picture for us of Jesus in the middle. And I wonder today, what is it that you're going through or where is it you find yourself in life? Maybe you're like the shepherd and you feel like you're on the the lower echelons of society, or maybe you feel like you're a wise man and you sit with the kings and the princes, but Jesus comes in the middle, saying today, whatever you're going through, wherever you find yourself, I wanna be a part of that. And so often we try and do it on our own strength. We try and pass him by. We try and say, thanks, but I got this. I can do this, but Jesus came to be in the middle. That means he's with you. That means no matter what you're going through, he's there. Bible says about the presence of God, if I ascend to the heights or descend to the depths, you are there. His presence is there. Jesus is here with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you accept him into your storm? Accept him into your high? Accept him into your low? Because he wants to be a part of that thing. And right across this place, if you're able, I'd love it if you jump to your feet. And I think right now, Jesus wants to come and be in the middle of your life. You might have it all sorted. He wants to be a part of your middle. Might be coming up to Christmas and you're full of fear and full of worry and full of the unknown. Jesus wants to come and be right there in the middle. Maybe there's something you've been praying for for years, that God word where there's a lag between where God has spoken it and where he brings it to pass. I wanna encourage you, Jesus is there in the middle. He's not left you, abandoned you, forsaken you, turned his back on you and walked away, but he is there in the middle. So what is it today you need to bring Jesus into the middle of? What is it that your heart is just just going like that, thanks, but no thanks. I don't, I don't need you, Jesus, I got this. What's the God word that you've let go, that you've pushed past, that you've said, that's never gonna happen in my lifetime. Jesus came to be right in the middle. And so right now in this moment, as we sing Emmanuel, we're gonna talk about him being with us in the middle. And I want you to open up your heart as we worship. Every person in this room has a different thing, a different middle, a different place. They need Jesus right now. But my challenge to you right now, Christians in the room, is let him come into the middle. You don't have to do this on your own. That is the whole point of the nativity story. Humanity thought they had it all sorted, but then Jesus came into the middle to give us relationship with God. And so today he wants to come in to your middle. So right across this place, lift your hands to heaven as we worship. And right now, welcome him in. Welcome him into the storm. Welcome him into the mess. Welcome him into the chaos. Welcome him into the place that nobody else can go. Welcome him into the place that nobody else knows about because it's there we find healing. There we find hope. There we find freedom. There we find breakthrough. There we find everything we could need when we let Jesus into 
the metal. So come on, right across this place. Just begin to worship. Begin to welcome the there's another character in the scene that we didn't see on the image, we didn't talk about on stage. And that person is you. In fact, I wanna suggest perhaps the most important part to play in this whole nativity story is you. John 3:16 says, for God so loved the world, he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not die, but would have everlasting life. The nativity was about you and it was for you. The whole story comes to this moment where God sends his son into the world for you. And so what is your next line? What do you say in this story? What is your response? The story can conclude as a nice image that we read in the Bible, a nice moment in history, or the story can change your life. And on the 1st of December, just a couple of days ago, I celebrated 13 years following Jesus. 13 years since I got on my knees in my bedroom and accepted this gift, this indescribable gift, the Bible says. 13 years. 
Have they been easy? Absolutely not. Have they been straightforward? Absolutely not. Has it been this romantic image that we see in the movies? Far from it. But has it been the most life-changing, transforming moment that I could ever have or expect to experience? Absolutely. Did it mean that everything I went through, the highs, the lows, the middle, was I on my own? No, because I had Jesus God with me. I was living life my own way, empty on the inside, trying to pursue all of the things the world told me I should pursue and spend my life on. But then the nativity scene, Jesus entered my life and so became part of the middle and everything changed. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 